You're listening to Inside the Village, where all news is local and no topic is off limits. So help me, Bob, it's bully in the alley. So help me, Bob, it's bully in the alley. Welcome to Inside the Village, a brand new podcast from Village Media that highlights the stories and story makers from across Ontario. I'm Scott Sexsmith, and I'll be joined each week by the editor-in-chief for Village Media, Michael Friscalanti. Frisco, it's great to be teaming up with you on this project. Awesome to be down here with you, Scott. Really looking forward to it. The first word goes to you, Frisco, as it will each and every week. Yeah, I think we just want to give people an idea of what we're going to be doing here on this podcast. Uh, we kind of envision it as a weekly rundown, a window into what's going on on our news sites around Ontario. Uh, Village Media operates some fantastic local news uh, websites across the province. And we tell great stories, and sometimes it's really uh, we need to take the opportunity to highlight those stories to not just the readers in those communities, but uh, people outside of those communities. So I really feel like we're going to sort of shine a light on the great stories that are going on, stories big, stories small, somewhere in between, really interesting uh, newsmakers in those communities and the stories that they're telling. So I'm I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be awesome. All right, looking forward to it. The first word from Frisco. Our first segment this week deals with a missing 37-year-old from St. Catharines. Katrina Blagden went missing at the end of December. Up next, we'll be joined by Katrina's mother, Bonnie, and sister, Kelly, to bring us up to speed on where things are at as the search continues for Katrina. All that and more next on Inside the Village. From newsmakers to celebrities to other prominent guests, you'll find them all on Village Media's new interview series, Up Close and Personal. Join host Scott Sexsmith as he goes one-on-one with well-known Canadians to hear their story. Up Close and Personal. Look for it on your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. Welcome back to Inside the Village. Alongside Michael Friscalanti, Editor-in-Chief of Village Media, I'm Scott Sexsmith. Frisco, a tragic story out of St. Catharines. A 37-year-old former soldier uh, who served in Afghanistan has been missing since the end of December. What can you tell us? Yeah, this is one of those stories that has just gained steam. It's been in the news uh, down in the Niagara region for the last few months. Trina Blagden, a, a longtime veteran of the Canadian Forces, she just vanished out of thin air on New Year's Eve. The last time she was seen was at a uh, on surveillance footage outside a submarine shop on New Year's Eve, and no one has heard from her since. Um, our team in Thorold at Thorold Today has been covering this story closely, and uh, the whole Niagara region has really ra- rallied together for this family. There's now a Facebook group called Trina's Army where people are coming together to try to find her. There's been many, many search parties uh, underway down there on weekends. People are searching various neighborhoods, various uh, wooded areas of the community to try to find her. I mean, it is a story that has just stayed in the pu- public eye because of the support the family has received. And I really, you don't really see it that, that often where somebody can be missing like this and people have rallied together to try to help this family. It's, in that way, it's quite an unbelievable story. We're very pleased to be joined today by Katrina's mom, Bonnie, and sister Kelly to bring us up to speed. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. I'd like to first start by uh, hearing about uh, Katrina, what kind of person uh, she is and, and, and what drew her to the military. Bonnie, maybe you could, uh, you could start us off. Uh, Trina is uh, an outgoing person and uh, uh, she loves a challenge and uh, she's funny. She uh, loves to help people and uh, she uh, she loves to make people laugh. And uh, 
So I, uh, when she was getting ready to graduate high school, she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. And she knew she didn't want to go into college and spend thousands and thousands of dollars, <laughs> you know, on a course or a trade. So her and I discussed the military. And she went and she talked to her guidance counselor about it and got brochures and that. And she just liked everything about it. And uh, again, it's, you know, about helping people, our country. Mm -hmm. So it just seemed fitting for her. And Kelly, she followed your footsteps into the military as well, right? She did, but um, it was almost like a joint uh, decision. So when Trina got it in her head, I feel like the bug was planted in my head at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was ahead of her, of course, so I could, didn't have to wait to join. Mm-hmm. And how much older are you, Kelly? I'm four years older. Amazing. And you, you talked to me the other day about you two serving together in Afghanistan at the same time. That, that's just amazing. Can you tell us about that? What was that like? I mean, obviously it was a once in a lifetime experience to do something like that with uh, my sister, my sibling. It was amazing to have a piece of home there. Uh, we felt like we could seek each other out and um, seek comfort and talk about what was going on at home because what was going on around us was not uh, something that we wanted to rehash and discuss at the end of every day. Absolutely. Just real quickly, can you tell us what she did in Afghanistan, what her role was? Uh, Trina's a supply technician. Uh, So she would have been in charge of, uh, they call them stores, Mm -hmm. uh, where they hold all um, extra supplies whether it be bullets, food items, stuff that the hospital needs, stuff the clerks need, the infantry. So she would have been known everybody. And everybody always loved Trina. Bonnie, uh, Katrina moved to the uh, St. Catharines area. Can you tell us what drew her to that area? Uh, she, she was dating uh, a guy uh, that she had met previously in the military, and uh, they had decided he's from this area, so uh, they had decided that this is where they would uh, buy a home and, uh, you know, start a life together with the children. And can you uh, can you tell us when you last uh, spoke to her? Christmas Day. What do you know after that, uh, Kelly? Maybe we can go to you. We know that she, the light she was last seen on New Year's Eve at a, at a sub shop in St. Catharines. What do you know? We know that her last outgoing text was to her boyfriend at five oh nine p.m. Mm-hmm. We know that she was seen shortly after that at the. Uh, What's the sub shop? Firehouse Steps mm-hmm. uh, in St. Catharines. She was caught on video camera with her uh, boyfriend. That was confirmed by police. And that is the last confirmed sighting that we have. The last one. 
We understand from reporting uh, that our Thorold Today reported on as well about the cell phone pings that happened a couple days after. What can you tell us about that? That was something that a family friend uh, had organized for us, and uh, they pinged two cell phones. Uh, Obviously, Katrina's phone number and another phone number. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that time, both phones were showing the same location in Thorold. Mm-hmm. And when we reached out and let someone know that uh, the phone was active and in Thorold, the phone quickly left the screen so we no longer could see that her phone was in Thorold anymore. And as far as you understand, it wouldn't have been Katrina with the phone? No, there is absolutely no way Katrina would have had her phone and not contacted anyone to say, I'm safe, guys. Call off the, the police. <laughs> yes, of, of course, of course. And, and as you, we've talked about before, it was basically like she left everything behind. She didn't take anything with her. She didn't even take her dog for a walk that morning, right? What can you tell us about no, that? What, what was left behind? She left her purse, her house keys, her wallet, her bank card, her dog. Mm-hmm. Anything that anybody would need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Bonnie, how about you? When did you hear, how did you hear she was, she was missing? Katrina, uh, I was staying in uh, at my middle daughter's house and Shelly, and Shelly got a call from Trina's best friend, Holly, and uh, uh, saying that she hadn't heard from Trina. I was expecting to talk to Trina sometime during that day. Because, you know, on, on Christmas Day, New Year's Day, you know, mm-hmm. we always get messages or phone calls. And uh, anyways, Holly told Trina that, or told Shelly that Trina, she was told Trina had left the house sometime between midnight and seven in the morning and had not returned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ever since then, Bonnie, you and Kelly have, and other family members have been in the Niagara region uh, searching ferociously to try to find out what happened to you. I've seen you're hanging missing posters all over town. I mean, it's been an unbelievable effort. What keeps you both going? Her. Mm-hmm. Because this just doesn't seem possible. You know, um, she wouldn't be gone this long without contacting one of us. So I know that she's out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So. You've received an unbelievable amount of uh, support from the community. A Facebook page uh, has been set up to help uh, find Katrina, nearly 10,000 members, uh, fundraisers. Uh, the reward, uh, I believe, now is up to $25,000. What has it been like uh, for you and your family uh, to have the support from so many people, including complete strangers? Amazing. Just uh, overwhelmingly amazing. Um, actually, I've been working on something about Trina's army because they give us so much comfort, support, uh, just knowing 
that uh, the numbers are growing and the concern for Trina is growing is very heartfelt, you know? Mm-hmm. Kelly, can you speak to that? What has that been like for you? I mean, you've been, you're administering the page, I think, or you're, you're, you're kind of leading the charge on the page. What's uh, that been like? When I took the page over, uh, it was started by uh, somebody on uh, Trina's softball team that she played with, uh, say, Catherine's. There were 69 members. And, you know, I remember in the beginning, just let's get to 100. Let's get to 200. And now it's just outstanding. There's no other word for the kind of support that we've received. Uh, we don't know anybody, well, we didn't, from the St. Catharines region or Niagara region, sorry. Uh, Trina didn't really know a lot of people aside from those that uh, she knew through her boyfriend. And it hasn't act- actually been an easy ride with them. Mm-hmm. So we had to make some new friends. And I will say, I don't know if a better community could have happened for us. And speaking as my, um, my mother's daughter... Uh, I know that my sister and I discuss quite often how much of a relief it is for us because we don't live in that area. Our parents haven't left since January 4th. Mm -hmm. And we have lives, we have children, we have to be at home. It is a relief to know that I have any number of people that I can call and say, my mom's not answering. Can you please tell me that you've seen her or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that kind of comfort for me is priceless in a time like this. What's amazed me from afar from watching it is, you know, there's fundraisers going on, people trying to raise the reward money. When you put a call out to ask for people to help you search on a Saturday morning, lots of people show up. I mean, it's been unbelievable. Can you talk about the searches? What, what is it you're, what, what's leading you to certain areas? What kind of searches are you doing? Sometimes it's a psychic. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's based off a tip that we get uh, that we may not be able to share with you until the police have finished with it, mm-hmm. or just areas that locals maybe know of that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we're very interested in. Mm-hmm. Kelly, sometimes we can't go into certain details, like you said. There's an active police investigation. It's difficult to point fingers. But are there people out there who aren't saying everything they know about what happened? 100%. Like 150%. There are people that could put an end to this pain, this part of the pain, so easily. And I know that. We know that. And that, like, not only to make a decision to... to take someone away from their, their lives, but to prolong the suffering, to not give that person the dignity they deserve. Mm-hmm. Everybody deserves. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, these questions are difficult and I apologize, but Bonnie, do you suspect foul play here? Is there any chance that your daughter just walked away and disappeared somewhere? No. If my daughter just walked away and disappeared somewhere and I want to be wrong by a billion times, she would never in her wildest dreams ever just forget about her family and her two sons, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that. I'm sorry, again, it's a difficult question. She has two sons, two teenage sons, correct? 
Yes. How are they holding up through all this? They're um, managing the best that they can. Uh, mm-hmm. Their their dad is really wonderful, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, being by their side and helping them out and adjust to or or I don't even know if it's adjust or just to get through each day until we find their mom. Absolutely, there's nothing for them to adjust to. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to adjust to. We don't know what to adjust to. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. You're right, Kelly. And I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even try to put myself in your shoes. I guess uh, what for your family now, four months later, what's the best case scenario in this? What's the best case scenario for your family, Kelly? Uh, Honestly, like not, negating the fact that the best case scenario would obviously be to find my sister wandering around the downtown somewhere. Mm-hmm. But in all likelihood and with the information that we've got, the best case scenario is that we find her and we're able to give her the, the rest and the dignity that she deserves as a person, as, as a soldier, as a vet, mm-hmm. as, as a person it's just unfathomable to think that my sister is out there and her biggest fear was always like, you know, we used to talk about this and it used to be, if something happens to me, please don't let them put me in the ground. Mm. You know, it's my, you know, my biggest fear. And as her older sister, I feel like I'm failing her constantly. Every day we don't find her. We feel like we're failing her. We need to be able to give ourselves permission to grieve, and we can't. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps me going. I think it's important that we uh, point out that anyone with information regarding Katrina's whereabouts is asked to contact the Niagara Regional Police Service uh, Dispatch. Here's the number, and for those of you watching on the uh, Village Media platform, we'll certainly flash it across the screen. It's 905-688-4111. Then dial option three with this extension, and this is important, 1024325. That's 1024325. You can also call uh, the Crime Stoppers tip line at 1-800-222-8477. Bonnie, Kelly, um, Frisco, and I can't imagine uh, the pain that you and your family uh, are going through. We will certainly do whatever we can to bring awareness to this um, and know that... uh, Thoughts and prayers and, and, and anything good that we can send your way is certainly uh, is going in your direction. We appreciate you doing this today. And we're very grateful that you came on. We know this isn't easy to do, but and, and it's amazing how much how hard you're all working to keep your to keep Trina's name out there, to keep her face out there and to keep this case alive. Uh, is there anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to get across? Uh, maybe if I could just talk for a second about a fundraiser that we have going on right now. Absolutely. Um, it is first to increase reward for Katrina information leading directly to her whereabouts. It's a big one on Facebook. It's a penny raffle, grand prize raffle with Toronto Raptors ball signed, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs jersey signed. And secondly, it helps us keep the search going. And thirdly, and definitely not the least important is that uh, we want to give back 10% to the community that we're in for people of uh, 
missing uh, families so that they can have um, funds that directly help them. But we're just looking for that charity at this time. Okay. Thank you both uh, very much for your time today. Thank you. Inside the Village will be back right after this. Reporters, editors, and journalists who go the extra mile to get the story and get it right. Go behind the scenes with those who cover the stories that matter most to you and your community. Look for it in the Village Features section of your favorite Village Media website across Ontario. Welcome back to Inside the Village. With the ongoing situation in Ukraine, people around the world are coming together to do what they can in terms of support. And we certainly don't have to look any further than Echo Bay, Ontario, just outside of Sault Ste. Marie, where Heather Clouston Goslow is doing her part by welcoming a mother and daughter into her home. Heather, welcome to Inside the Village. Appreciate you taking some time with us today. Thank you for having me. Let's uh, start right from the beginning, if we can, Heather. Why don't you tell us a, a bit about yourself and, and what motivated you to help resettle a family that's fleeing the war in Ukraine? Um, I was a health care aide for 30 years, and I have a very caring heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching the war unfold, and I was just traumatized. So I went away on vacation for three weeks to Jamaica, and now and again I'd see on CNN uh, the war itself, and it was just devastating. So I asked my husband if perhaps we can take uh, a few Ukrainians into our homes. So I did some research and I saw on um, Facebook a website called Ukrainian or Canadians hosting Ukrainians. And I reached out. There's many, many people wanting to flee the war and come to Canada. So one of the first people actually I was talking to was Olga. And she's a 48-year-old mother who fled the war. The the trauma that they've told me these past few weeks, just it just it's shocking. But anyways, I ended up talking to her, and she has a 16-year-old daughter, and she's just excited to get here. Uh, Heather, our, our reporter Kenneth Armstrong Sue today has written about you and and, and your amazing efforts to, to help this family. Can you just give us a little more detail on how you go about the process? Is there a lot of paperwork you have to do? I mean, how do you physically start this process? You know, I didn't have to fill out anything. You just basically reach out on this website. You have to be careful, though, you know, maybe do video chats with them. I've, I talk to them every, every day. Um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't comfortable filling out papers and stuff. So basically, the mother, Olga, has her visa now. It was ready on Thursday. They're just waiting on Paulina's now, and uh, they'll be on their way. Heather, uh, what can you tell us about the family that, uh, that you're sponsoring? Um, what part of Ukraine are they from? Uh, you did mention it's, it, it's a mother and daughter, but we also understand they're leaving dad behind because he's staying to fight the Russians. Yes, um, they're from Kiev. And uh, she had to leave her 77-year-old mother. She wouldn't just uproot and leave Ukraine. She she's told them she wasn't afraid she'll die in her own country. So Olga and her daughter are just devastated. They're trying to get their mother to come to Canada. She, she refuses. So they had to leave behind uh, her husband also. He's volunteering he's not right front lines or anything but they won't let anyone any male 18 and over leave um ukraine they have to stay and and do what they can to fight 
Heather, what are they talking to you about? I mean, how often are you talking to these ladies and, and what have their stories been like to you? Every hear? single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent you some voice clips, I, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Uh, it's just traumatizing. They left uh, just with essentially their purses, their cell phones, their jackets and their sneakers. That's it. Their home was destroyed. Um, they had to run to a metro station where they thought they were going to be leaving that day and, and running to freedom. But um, they told them that they had to go underground the metro station. They were going to close it be- because uh, Ukrainian or Russian soldiers were just right above them. So they laid there in the cold for, I think she said, 16 hours. Wow. Um, they couldn't they couldn't talk. They all they did was weep. You know, they were laying in the cold. They weren't letting them out of the metro station because the the Russian Russian soldiers were so close to them. They weren't allowed to get up to go to the bathroom. Nothing. Wow. Unbelievable. It's just traumatizing. Like every time I think about it, it's horrible. Heather, uh, what has the uh, response been like from your uh, your friends and, and neighbors in Echo Bay and, and certainly in uh, in nearby Sault Ste. Marie? Is everybody rallying uh, behind you and, and helping and being encouraging? My house right now looks like an episode of Hoarders <laughs> <laughs> because the donations have been just astronomical. It's just crazy. Uh, the people of Sault Ste. Marie have come together so much. I've had drop-offs and pickups and um there's a lady wendy goocher who essentially that i reached out to her on her website to begin with for um donations of stuff she owns helping hands to saint marie downtown on gorse street they rally together and, it, and it's just been unreal um there's another gentleman who owns second hand world on queen street in sault saint marie he's given me all brand new quilts and sheet sets and pillows and blankets and Value Village Sault Ste. Marie has a program. I'm sure all Value Villages all over Ontario or Canada, for that matter. Um, I went in and, and they gave me over $1,200 worth of, you know, clothing and uh, household goods and just everything you can imagine. I, I, I was going to ask, uh, what kinds of things are you getting? And that's certainly a great list. Is there anything, Heather, that you're not getting that you could use? No. Um, people have came to me many times offering me uh, monetary donations. But for myself, I refuse because I just don't want to deal with, you know, money. It's not that I don't want them to have it because they really need it. They, she keeps telling me, I'm so sorry. I have no money. I have no money. But um, I'm in the process right now of retaining a lawyer to set up an in-trust fund for them for when they get here, they'll have something to fall back on just to get them on their feet. So I'm hoping that'll um, happen this week. And how would people donate that? Would it via email with you? Sure, they can email me um, directly and I can direct them on how to go about that. Um, my email is Heather. Dawn1969 at gmail.com. So that's H E A T H E R D A W N 1969 at gmail.com. 
Thank you, Heather. What what amazes me about this too is these these aren't traditional refugee streams like we saw with say the Syrian refugees a few years ago. Um, so they're not getting the kind of government support that we saw with that uh, group of refugees. Yeah. So this is really an emergency travel documents are being given to these people, and then people like you are reaching out to help them and give them a place to stay. Has that been a challenge? Not. Uh, I mean, has the government given you any assistance at all, or any guidance on how to do this? You know, I reached to our local politician. He he just basically said there's no resources yet. Um, I don't want to name the name of the charity to put them down, but they also basically shunned me when I asked them for even a single bed for the daughter, Paulina. It just seems like everybody is passing the buck right now and nobody has answers. I'm on that website, Canada Host Ukrainians, every day, and I'm hearing stories of people landing in Toronto with no place to go. The uh, the government, I feel, needs to step up and help these people because they cannot be walking the streets of Toronto or Vancouver or wherever they're landing. Um, they've reached out to Red Cross and they are being told that the hotels that we do have are full. So they're basically sitting in the at Pearson Airport in Toronto with no place to go, reaching out, hoping that Canadians will help them. And I, I find that's very sad. Yeah, it certainly is. Heather, uh, when uh, when are your housemates uh, expected to arrive? And, and I guess what I'd like to know is, as as that date draws nearer, what's, what's going through your mind? I'm excited. I can't wait to get them to safety. Um, I have friends of mine in Echo Bay, Ontario, who own a restaurant called Bucci's. They want to hire them right off the, the hop. <laughs> of course, Paulina will be attending high school so she can perhaps work on the weekends if she wants. And um, as for Olga, she can she can go full time. That's fantastic. I mean, in your conversations with these women, Heather, have you talked to them about, I know things. so many things are happening right now, but have you talked to them about where they see themselves in a few years? I mean, do they hope that they can go back home? Are they having those kind of conversations with you? Absolutely. Olga thinks that her daughter, if she likes it here, should stay because our universities and stuff in Canada are so much better than in Ukraine. But Olga really wants to go back. And and I'm hoping that, you know, this war will end soon enough so they can start rebuilding their country. All right. Well, uh, it's uh, it's an amazing story, uh, Heather, and and you're doing uh, some amazing work, and and we certainly look forward to uh, to following uh, the progress and 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 seeing how you make out and and how your uh, your new roomies uh, will adjust to uh, to life in Canada. But uh, you're doing some great work, and and it's uh, greatly appreciated. And we appreciate you taking the time uh, to speak with us uh, today, Heather Clouston Goslow from Echo Bay. Coming up next on Inside the Village, and let me ask you the question, could you imagine living beside somebody who every night for the past two years played their bagpipes on their front lawn? Yeah, <laughs> makes me wonder, right? Maybe for the first couple of weeks it'd be entertaining, but I wonder two years is a long time. We'll find out why this particular gentleman did it and why he stopped. It's all next on Inside the Village. For the latest and in-depth features and enterprise journalism from your local writers at Village Media, be sure to check out The Big Read. The Big Read. It's the full story behind the headlines. Look for The Big Read on your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. I'll leave my sail to go a-sailing. Hey, hey, the 
Welcome back to Inside the Village. Alongside Frisco, I'm Scott Sexsmith. Frisco, a, a great guest that we're going to be speaking with now out of Fergus, Ontario. Peter Hummel is joining us. Peter, welcome to Inside the Village. It's great to have you. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, Peter, you've got a very interesting story. For the last couple of years, uh, you've been doing something every evening uh, to honor uh, frontline workers, healthcare workers. Maybe you could uh, give us the backstory on that. Um, yeah, I, um, uh, two years ago, I started uh, playing my bagpipes at seven thirty at night to for support workers, front uh, frontline workers, and healthcare workers. Um, my wife actually gave me the idea in the UK. They do this thing. They were doing this thing at three o'clock at a shift change, where some bagpipers and just people in the area were banging pots and pans. And my wife was like, "You should." We have a balcony on our front porch uh, up upstairs. She's like, "You should go up there and play." I'm like, "Ah, we'll do it once and see what happens." And I did it once, twice, and then all of a sudden, you know, people were coming out onto their front driveways in my neighborhood and bringing pots and pans, and they you know, hit the pots and pans and all that fun stuff, you know, it, it just kind of went from there. And then all of a sudden it became a thing that I kind of, I, and I love doing it. I don't get me wrong. I love doing it, but Peter, what do you do for a living? I'm an educational assistant. I work with special needs uh, students at the uh, local high school here. Oh, that's amazing. So the first night you did it, were you a little bit nervous? How was that first day? Um, I wouldn't say nervous. I was just kind of like, okay, let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm really it like i'm used to performing in front of people like judges and what have you so there was no judges outside at the time so it's kind of like all right i'll go play for five minutes but then you know five minutes turned to 10 minutes 15 minutes and then all of a sudden i was doing a full-on almost 20 minutes some nights it had to have turned some heads though peter when you first uh, started doing this yeah oh yeah it did it did um it it is a scottish town and uh um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, people, like I said, you know, people were coming from different parts of Fergus to come watch me play. Um, there were people coming from Waterloo and uh, actually one night, some people from Toronto showed up. Now, are, are you doing this in, in a full on, uh, outfit or, uh, or was it just jeans or sweats? <laughs> um, on special occasions I'd put on the uniform and what have you, but for the most part, it was like in the summertime I was in my shorts but uh, the, we did themes for a little while there where one night was movie night and I had people like dress up in like, you know, costumes of their favorite, favorite uh, movie character. I went as Braveheart. <laughs> that was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't quite have the look of Jamie Frazier. I do like to call myself the Jamie Frazier Fergus, but <laughs> I, I, I'm not. <laughs> Peter, did, did ever, all your neighbors love it or did you have a few that weren't so happy about it? Well, I I had a couple that weren't too happy about it, but I I think uh, they were more unhappy that, like, because I am a competitive piper, like I do compete, I practice, and I would practice in my backyard, and they, you know, it got kind of negative for a little bit there, and then, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to to bring up the negativity, but I think I read that some bylaw officers at some point came to your house, is that right? I had had, uh, a couple um, OPP come to my house, and I had uh, bylaw enforcement come to my house. Um, They let me, like, they're just doing their jobs. Like, like, at the end of the day, like, they were very cool, they were very nice to me, they just wanted to let me know there's been a noise complaint, and, you know, 
I'm not breaking the law. That's a free, that's every time they did it that you're not breaking the law, but you do, mm-hmm. you know, we have to respond to this and we have to let you know. And I said, okay. And I always said, well, you know, let the complainant know that they can come talk to me anytime. Like let's figure something out. And then it kind of got worse from there. And how did it get worse, Peter? Um, there was a lot of vulgarity going on, going on air horns really? going off when I was playing. Um, yeah, there was one night it, it just got to the point where like, I have I have a one small child and I've got a teenager, so swearing you know she's not gonna, but and then there's kids in one yard and kids in another yard, and there's all this swearing going on and um, yeah I just kind of was like this is dumb this is getting mm-hmm. dumb. Is that what triggered you to bring it to an end? What the piping? Yeah, to stop. Yeah, because I understand you stopped recently. After two I, I, oh no, I stopped. I only stopped because I just thought uh, now that they're lifting uh, um, mandates and everything on the masks and stuff, I thought, you know what, what, what a great way to kind of symbolize it's time to kind of move on now because we've been in this pandemic mindset for a while. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I'm, you know, I've been doing this for two years now and which I, I have, I love doing it. Don't get me wrong, but I think it was time. I think, uh, you know, people just kind of needed to go on with their lives. Yeah. Our reporter at Allura, Laura Fergus today, Keegan Kozalenka, wrote a great piece about you in your last concert. <laughs> great guy, great reporter. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what what was the what was that final night like for you? Emotional? It was super emotional. I, I won't even deny it. I'm not even gonna try to be the tough guy about this. Um I have a saying I say at the end of the night, um, and I always say, please support your frontline workers, healthcare workers, support workers, and your education workers. I could barely get through it. I, I got all choked up about it, and I at one um, I one one of the women that come out all the time to to pl- to hear me play. She's ninety years young, um, and I I always played her favorite tune. And when I played it, I was getting choked up even playing that, just because you know I like we 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 my neighbors and I still all hang out and stuff, and it's really like we like I, you know we did create a family out of this, like the my close neighbors and my and in my neighborhood we. We still want to hang out and we do stuff, so it's it's good. Uh, Peter, I think uh, first of all, thanks for taking the time to uh, to speak with us uh, here on the show today. Uh, I think it would only be fitting, uh, and I know that Frisco and I would certainly love to uh, to have you play us out uh, so that we can enjoy uh, what uh, sadly we didn't get to see live and in person uh, for the last two years. Can you uh, can you play us out? Absolutely. Just let me. Uh adjust my microphones here absolutely all right first show in the can um it was a good one i uh, i can't wait to see where we uh, where we go from here it's absolutely gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a good ride i was nervous i think we did okay i that think we good. got through it yeah. uh thank goodness uh, people can edit and and Make us look and sound a lot better than we are. Right on. And that is uh, episode number one uh, of Inside the Village. Don't forget, you can uh, check it out anywhere across the Village Media platform or wherever you get your favorite podcast. For Michael Friscolanti Frisco, I'm Scott Sexsmith. Thanks for listening today. You've been listening to Inside the Village. 